Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. We are back on another weekly wrap, I should say. Um, last week, uh, unfortunately, we couldn't make one. Uh, everyone's had their had their own uh, things to get on, their own priorities. But uh, you know, we are trying to come back with two weeks worth of content. <laughs> At least that's what we that was what we aim to do um, in this uh, in this ever changing world. But uh, gents, how are we doing, Jazz? I'm good, David. Thanks for asking. Very happy, clear. happy, Very clear. happy Wednesday because we're doing this on Wednesday for a change. Thursday, mate, you lose track. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been losing a track of days a little bit. With some I know, vacation. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. You, you only care about what the markets do anyway. So <laughs> as long as it's a trading day, you're happy. So that's true. Uh, good on you. And John, how are we doing? Great, yeah, great. Last uh, last nice day of weather here in Sydney until what looks like just a, a, a wall of rain for ten days or so. Oh, but I'm great. Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> it is, it is. I'm gonna miss the weather, but uh, yeah. Anyway, we are we are literally counting down to Christmas. I think we're about thirty days to Christmas, yeah. actually, uh, a bit or a bit less than that. So I'm sure everyone's got uh, big plans, but. Um, yeah, I guess uh, let's let's have a look at a few of the um, uh, interesting topics. Which uh, the biggest one that um, we wanted to cover last week, but we couldn't or we we couldn't have covered was about inflation data. Um, and the key data, the key data metrics that came out uh, was that the inflation in US um, has actually recorded or reached a thirty-year high in October, and that's recording a rise of 5.9%, just one month. That's one month, 5.9%. And that's a scary figure, right? Typically, we talk about inflation in, across the whole year as being about 2%, 3%. That's what the central banks kind of been targeting. But the fact that US had a jump of 5.9% in a month is, um, uh, is, is scary. And uh, yeah, I'd like to know your thoughts around this gents and uh you know what's 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 really the biggest factor that caused this jump um and um and what what are feds going to do about it uh so inflation <laughs> we love it don't we how many how many months have we discussing about inflation yeah <laughs> i've lost that track basically every podcast if i'm not mistaken <laughs> pretty much yes but the important thing is, a couple of months ago, uh, I think it was Jerome Paul or one of the financial regu regulators in the US talked about how this is going to be a transitory period, right? Um, it will be interesting to see if they still are of the same opinion that is, it's going to be transitory or the inflation, uh, the way it is currently, is here to stay. Uh, they removed. They removed the word transitory from the last uh, last week's statement. So very, very good that you, you uh, mentioned it. That. Up. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, obviously, this is not a transitory thing. I don't think uh, with all the price rises that we are being, seeing, whether it's in natural gas, other commodities, and all that stuff, that it's going to be transitory. It's clearly not. In fact, I don't know how. Um, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Biden, uh, is talking about that inflation will slow down uh, as a part of this new infrastructure deal that they're signing. 
So that's pumping more money into the system. How does that exactly slows down inflation? I don't really understand. Maybe Biden can one day come and explain on this podcast what does he mean? Because I think he's being total idiot in saying this one sentence that inflation is going to be, um, it will either slow down or it's going to be transitory uh, because of the infrastructure bill that has been passed, which makes zero sense to me at least. Uh, yeah, look, I think that the infrastructure bill is super inflationary, actually. Uh, so, but the inflationary bill, the, sorry, the infrastructure bill started at $3 trillion with all sorts of social programs in there, and they managed to to whittle it down to about $1.5 trillion worth of actual infrastructure programs. But, you, you know, when, you, when you've got a 2,000-page uh, bill, um, you never really know what you're passing. I'm sure there's uh, basket weaving in, you know, Pakistan in there or something like that as well. Uh, so th- there's all sorts of there's all sorts of potential stuff that um, that they pass. But it's, you know, all, all government spending is inflationary. Ideally, infrastructure eventually becomes deflationary because you declog the economy up with uh, better better roads and better transit and you know faster internet so in the long term it should be deflationary but uh, when the money's sloshing out there it will be inflationary and and you know the the, the thing you got to remember i mean the interesting thing about inflation is that inflation always creeps up when the economy's going poorly um on tv you know and you listen to bloomberg and cnbc they always talk about inflation being a demand uh, a demand event, you know, say, oh, you know, prices are going up in real estate, for example, because there's all this demand. But actually, inflation always occurs, generally speaking, when the economy is poor. You know, the, um, you might, uh, I remember when we were speaking about inflation a month or so ago, we were saying, oh, it's the highest inflation rate since 2008. And then they say, you know, it's the highest inflation rate since 1991. They're all recessions. And the reason for that is that as Milton Friedman famously said, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon, which is to say that when you print money, you get inflation. And it's not it's not about demand, it's about inflation. It's about uh, currency creation. Um, it's really bad. Uh, you, you know, the big problem with inflation conceptually is that you, you're selling capital to consume. So you, you, th- you, it fools you into thinking that you're wealthier than you are. Your stock portfolio's gone up. Your house is worth more. All that sort of stuff, and that tricks you into selling the capital to to invest. In, you know, to buy consumer goods. So that's really bad. What I find interesting is, and just to tie this into a slightly different topic, is that we know that Warren Buffett is sitting on 150 billion dollars worth of cash. Now, cash is the last place you want to be when there's inflation because it's it's eroding the value of that currency. However, may, uh, unless you expect a crash, um, unless there's a crash, cash is not where you want to be in an inflationary environment. So he didn't buy gold or anything like that, basically. He didn't like gold either. Mm. No, but he, he, he likes... Um, he doesn't like gold. He, he likes physical resources, though. So in, in the last decade, he's been scooping up things like... Um, Rail, railway lines and um, and those sorts of things. So he's he's a tangible kind of guy. Uh, you, you know, he's not really into tech besides Apple. Um, hmm. But um, yeah, so inflation's inflation's going to be the story of our time. It's going to be the story of our decade. And you know, we always look back at the seventies as though that was the gold standard for inflation. I say that kind of tongue in cheek, really. But um, it's it's worse now. 
and we measure it differently. So it's probably really higher than it was in the 70s. Uh, the question is, as Jazz said, how long does it last? If it burns itself out, we could probably tolerate it. But if this goes on for years and years, it's a, it's a real hit to our standard of living. And then you want to be in assets. Well, the only way you can slow down the inflation figures uh, or can put, bring them back into control is by trying to increase the interest rates. So yeah. again, a repeated story, right? So we've discussed that as well. So the question is, are the interest rates going to rise? We know uh, if it's going to happen, when it's going to happen kind of thing. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch how this plays out overall uh, because interest rate rising has other impacts, which we all know as well, related to property and all that stuff. The interesting, and the interesting thing um, that happened is uh, in one of the statements that was issued by RB, I think it was this month, is how they are, to- how they are talking about the interest rates when they are deciding the interest rates policy at a macro level, they don't really consider uh, real estate. Yeah, it's not. It's, 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 it's not, not a consumer item. It's not a part of macro, basically. So, uh, yeah, it's just interesting. I, the, I think I think the important point over here is, without getting too sidetracked, uh, is that it's not going to be transitory. It's here to stay. Uh, yeah. So we'll see. Uh, and we can see that in the asset prices clearly. So what, what, Dave, Jazz, what do, you, what do, what do you do when there's inflation? What, what's the right thing to do when there's inflation? If it's not transitory, it's transitory. We need to think about how we as investors play the inflation game. So what, mm. what, do you, what, what's, what do we do? What does the average guy do? So you mean if it's not, you mean, you mean if it's not transitory? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're not using the language of it being transitory anymore, um, and that that stuff is always deliberate. So, what's what's the inflation play for the average guy? Uh, it's pretty much what we discuss on this podcast. <laughs> it's yep. owning the hard assets. You got to put money into assets, other asset classes, to hedge against that eroding of the value, right? Basically. So, whether that's property, whether it's shares, whether that's cryptocurrencies any of them that you pick and fancy, as long as it's an asset class that's going to continue to hedge against that inflation, which is eroding away the currency value, then that's, I think that's, that's what a typical, and that's why we're seeing such a, such a, such a boom in terms of all the asset values across the last six to 12 months, right? Um, they're flying, literally flying, flying because of everyone's under that kind of mindset um, to hedge against that. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, the interesting question is when you know the inflation is not going to be transitory, mm. is this still the right time to be putting money into any of these assets? Whether you look at property, whether you look at stock market, whether you look at crypto, whether you look at uh, commodities. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no, John. What do you think? I, I agree with all, all those things. I think you kind of want to be in physical things. Uh, and I include, uh, ironically, cryptocurrency in that. Um, but I think you generally want, want to own tangible things. So real estate's great because they don't even include it in the measure and it. A lot of the um, all that credit growth goes into goes into real estate. I mean, the the old hedges used to be gold and silver. I think that they're still useful to hold. Um, the, one would assume from recent 
years that crypto is now a better inflation hedge than um, than gold and silver, but time will tell on that. The, the other thing that you can do is, you know, just things that average people can do is you you stockpile food, you stockpile durable goods, you buy whiskey and cigarettes and all that sort of stuff. And I know no, it long sounds long. like it's I know it sounds like it's prison rules, but things like you know, uh, like you know, when currency dies, you you want to own things that are always valuable. So um, those, those sorts of uh, non-perishables are generally speaking, um, what what your things you know you know like like whiskey, like good whiskey. And there's actually one thing I'd also say is when the economy goes bad and there's inflation, there's always a, a bit of a flight to quality. So you know. People people um, own fewer things that are better quality, like better suits and better food, and so there's always you'll find that there's always a bit of a flight to quality, and when things get rough. In other words, you want things that is limited. You want to basically get things that are limited. You know, Bitcoin is an example. I think I read earlier. There's only a finite set amount number of bitcoins that you can hold, and they can't keep generating more and more bitcoins uh, than that. So that's different to, uh, I guess inflation when printing money in the sense and you know right you can literally print infinite currency and therefore devaluing it on that aspect so it doesn't matter what you what you buy or what you what you get as long as the asset itself is is finite in terms of its quantity in terms of its value um, and it's in demand uh, in a sense you know like john you i know you're jokingly saying for mm-hmm. example whiskey and that kind of stuff which is mm-hmm. very true right like the good whiskey there's only mm-hmm. certain limit of them um potentially um and I was, I was kidding, say lumber to a degree as well. You know, at the moment, lumber's going, lumber's going nuts and building materials going nuts because there's so much demand as well for them. Um, that kind of stuff would hedge against, um, yeah. I guess, yeah, yeah, the, um, the value, the currency value debasement. So I don't know about alcohol being a great investment. <laughs> Come on, sure Jazz. Because I'm <laughs> sure that I'll be more interested in drinking than talking <laughs> it. So the value goes up. So I think I'm going to end up losing money at a faster rate. Stop <laughs> drinking the inheritance, Jazz. <laughs> doesn't uh, Jim Ricard say there are? Th- I'm going to forget this. I'm going to I'm going to balls it up. But he says something like, you know, you you want to think about generational wealth. So you want to think about land. You want to think about art. And I think he says gold, but I could be wrong on that. But he said that's that's how you have to think. So inflation's about like generations and long, long term. And I I know he definitely talks about fine art. Mm-hmm. And land. Yeah. He didn't mention whiskey. Didn't mention whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> just because just because someone could just pop open the lid and then just drink it or pour it down the drain if, he, if yeah, they want to. Right. And there you go, that's gone. Poof. Not so perishable <laughs> after all. <laughs> but it's interesting to see John and David both talking about Bitcoin being finite supply. Um, I was waiting for you guys to fully agree to this whole Bitcoin saga so so we all can buy it one day. So are we ready for it now? <laughs> yeah. <you> buy one? <laughs> yeah. 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 Bitcoin. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No turning back now, is there? Bitcoin. Is <laughs> <laughs> That's it, mate. Jazz, you've been waiting for that for a long time. I know. I know. <laughs> anyway, uh, back to where we were. So, um, yeah. So we talked about inflation. Um, and um, funny enough, US inflation is very high. Australia's inflation rate at the moment is also trending very high. I think we're looking to hit 3.2% by the end of this quarter. Okay, so this is, uh, this is uh, talking about, I think, the uh, October quarter, October, November, December quarter. 3.2%. I think RBA's target was, what, 25 
from memory or something along that line? Between two to three. Yeah, two to three. Okay, so this is already if the, with forecast expected. It's already higher than what we expend, uh, what what we're expecting so far, um, in in terms of the uh, the modeling that they've done, um, and this therefore I think was the main reason why it sparked a lot of the economists saying that the RBA will be forced to raise interest rate a lot earlier than what Governor Lowe has been saying, um, despite the fact that I think. Uh, in this month, um, Governor Lowe did come out and say, mm, we're not, not looking likely to be raising rates in 2024. But the funny thing with them, you know, the statement is always, yeah, it's unlikely, but it may not necessarily mean, it doesn't mean it's zero as well. So there's always a chance, although it's trending towards zero at the moment. Um, um, and, and that's what, yeah, so that's what really sparked it uh, because of that inflation data and that projection for this quarter, um, and it's still going to go gangbusters as well. Remember, like we're only about a month out from lockdowns and people are spending, spending, spending all the way through the biggest, potentially biggest Christmas in 2021. Um, you know, when everyone, when everyone's being suppressed for so long uh, in terms of the consumption. So we're going to have a big year in 2022 and therefore it's going to cause an impact, impact on the, um, uh, on the growth and, and on the inflation figures and as such, you know, they may have to look at raising rates um, potentially 2023 or even late 2022. What I think they're waiting to see is, I think, so I said before that it's, you know, the Milton Friedman thing, it's always monetary policy that creates mm. inflation. Mm. But I think what they're, they're going to wait and see is what happens to the supply chain. So once they, so, so supply chain is definitely having an impact on um on uh, inflation. And I, what I think that they will do is I, I think they're going to hold fire on monetary policy at least until uh, those issues sort themselves out, uh, assume, and that'll probably take another year. And I think what they don't want to do is raise interest rates to solve a supply chain issue. And and that that's like a double whammy to the economy. So my, my guess is one of the reasons they're holding out on interest rates is because mm. the, the, the supply chain's all choked up. Mm. Uh, any thoughts Charles? Okay. yeah I do I read actually an article that talked about inflation that if you were to apply the formula that they used to use in 1980s now I don't remember what the sorry I don't know what the formula is and I don't exactly remember the article itself um, but if you were to apply the formula that they used to use in 1980s uh, the inflation number, the true inflation number or the inflation number using that formula is somewhere close to 15%. Yeah. So I think these inflation numbers are pretty useless, to be honest. Yeah. CP lie. There's a website called shadow, shadowstats.com and that, that gives you the inflation readings um, using the methodologies from previous decades. And it also gives you unemployment readings if you were to compare unemployment today using the methodology from the 1930s during the Great Depression. And so it says, you know, our unemployment rate, it's much, much higher, but we've just redefined unemployment away. Um, so, so the message for us as, as investors is also that they're always going to understate inflation because that's baked into the definition of a CPI. So even if interest rates goes up, uh, interest rates go up, and you're a real estate holder, there's still there's still too much stimulus in the system, even if interest rates go up, 
because they understate inflation, which means they will always keep interest rates too low. That's why real estate investors have been winners since the 1970s, because that's when we, we started redefining um, uh, or ill-defining these, these measures. We've been laughing all the way to the bank. Mm-hmm. They'll always understate inflation. They'll always understate interest rates. That's a, that's a solid point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and, and I think that's a good segue to a fast to, I guess, uh, move on to talk a bit about the, uh, the impact of that to the property market, I guess. Um, you know, I, I'm sure media is doing a fantastic job in terms of keeping everyone updated. And I think a lot of times to a degree where it's, I, I should say it, it actually, the, the articles people publish can, can impact sentiments a lot, especially when it comes bias sentiments. You know, you, we, we used to see a couple of months ago, Banks dropping fixed rates down to as low as 1.9, 1.8%. People go, wow, that's how low you can get for, you know, in order to buy a property. Now let's jump in. And for the last couple of weeks, it's always been news about oh, the, what, which one of the big four has hiked the interest rates again or fixed rates in the long run. So people are, people's sentiment is starting to change is the way that I feel about it. And I think that's obviously that's being reflected in terms of the conversation that we've been talking with sales agents, uh, and as well, John, you know, you've been on the ground as well. You get the feel directly in terms of what's really been happening. But in summary, we are seeing a, in Sydney, we are starting to see a slowdown uh, in terms of the, the number of people attending auctions, the number of people attending inspections. The transaction seems to be a lot slower in general, um, and the number of listings been going up. So all these factors are starting to, 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 started to play out. And we know that, you know, the crazy growth that's happened in the property market um, you know, for 2021, for majority of 2021, just could not last forever. And I think this is hitting that turning point. We're, we're starting to see that inception point where, you know, it's starting to turn a little bit. And Sydney is the usually the leading indicator for the rest of the market. I don't know what you're seeing on there, Jazz, for Melbourne, um, but I suspect that it's probably going to follow, um, you know, sooner or later at some point too. John, um, how, what are you what are you seeing on the ground at the moment? Are you are hitting on the road, so uh, would you share with us what you're what you're currently uh, seeing? Yeah, I'm seeing uh, a lot more listings, but that's that's going to be brief because we're going into Christmas. But um, mm. so anyone who wants to sell uh, this side of Christmas has to list it now. Uh, but I'm definitely seeing I'm definitely seeing um, fewer people at inspections. I'm seeing um, more more listings. Uh, I bought a property for a client on Saturday and, you know, <laughs> the auction was over a lot quicker than I thought. Uh, it was reasonably busy, but I thought we got a great price. And and when I sort of contacted the agent afterwards, he said that had that uh, been to auction a month earlier, that they might have um, had more more um, more registered bidders. So, look, you, you, know, you know, you never know, but I'm definitely seeing fewer people on the pavement at the inspections. I still see it actually very healthy. You know, I still see it's just normalised. You know, I still think it, you know, if I look at the data, it looks like it'll start going up by, you know, 1% a month, maybe a little bit under that. That's a really good market. You want to be in that market for sure. But it's just not, that panic is not, doesn't seem to be there anymore. And I think that prices have, because have gone up so far, it has scared off a lot of people. Um, And people are being really, are judicious about what properties they waste their time going to have a look at. I think that's that's the thing as well, because if there's a guide at a million and your budget's a million, you don't even bother looking at those anymore because it'll sell for 1.1 or 1.2. 
And I think that the, the buyers are pretty savvy, actually. Pretty disheartened, let's put it that way, after seeing that, yeah. that kind of results consistently, right? Everyone would be pretty disheartened. Um, okay, so, so, so John, you're of the opinion that it's still going to be growing or the, the, the prices will still continue to grow, but it's the velocity of the growth is slowing down uh, consistently, right? So maybe a 1% to 2%. Do you reckon there will be a pullback? On the second, on a second, you know, like the the B graders or the C graders type of properties. Um, yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I do. I do. I, I look. You, you know, I'm a bull until mid decade, so I think that there's more to run. But I actually think there's going to be a bit of hiccup that that will present itself in the data in the next couple of months. Mm. One thing to look out for, uh, all of you punters out there, is that anytime there is a uh, clearance rate over 70%, we're generally in a, in a bull market. So we're generally in a market that's rising and the clearance rates are about 77, 77, 75%. So, so prices are still rising, but um, you, you know, this is the comfort level for policymakers. They're going to be fine with this. You know, clearance rates at 75% means pro property prices are rising, but there's no feeding frenzy and they're going to be happy with that. I do think we'll see, the prices come in as it digests the reopen, um, but then I think we'll be back to back to one percent a month. It's the healthy growth way, which yeah. should be should be the way to go. So, yeah, okay, no, very good. Thanks for the update. Uh, awesome. All right. Well, so I think just on the topic that we discussed initially about Warren Buffett holding a lot of cash. Now, why is he holding a lot of cash? That's because he's actually cashing out on a lot of stock this mm. week, right? So. Um, and what does that mean for, uh, I guess, for investors? That that kind of signal, um, and and look, I think we can probably tie this with the um, uh, with Elon Musk also selling a portion of his Tesla stock this week as well. The big sell off, which caused Tesla to, you know, at one point I think dip back to about a thousand, but now it's starting to creep back up again. Um, you know, with Warren Buffett and 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 Elon Musk, you know, doing these kind of indicators and and, and selling their stocks. What does it mean for the investors? Uh, We'd like to take a pun at it. Look, leaving Elon aside, Elon, Elon, if anyone can read Elon's brain, then that guy's a genius anyway. So Elon. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, I think it's a most complex uh, brain that you can, you can ever find. But uh, Warren Buffet, I think, I think Warren Buffett holding onto that much cash does that make anyone concerned? Maybe I'm not really that concerned, to be honest, purely because um, Warren has overall, I think Warren's a little bit overhyped, in my opinion. Um, his, his investment fund or his hedge fund, whatever you want to call it, has really, hasn't really outperformed that much in the last 10 years, even when you compare it to the S&P 500. If you were to put your money in the S&P 500, you would have still probably matched or outperformed Buffett, to be honest. Uh, so I think Buffett is old school, uh, and we know that very well. Buffett's never invested in tech stocks like, uh, sorry, like Apple, Microsoft, um, and all the other ones, uh, with the new ones like Tesla and all. Um, his, his co-partner or his partner, Charlie Munger, um, calls crypto or Bitcoin the rat poison. So <laughs> uh, lovely, Charlie, how much have you read about it? I'm really curious to know about that. So I don't really look at Buffet indicator and Buffet himself holding that much cash as, a, as any kind of an indicator to fund or uh, take the money out of the markets. But 
maybe he's got something else cooking behind the scenes. Maybe, maybe because Buffet is known to be known to buy businesses cheap. So maybe, maybe there's something else. But uh, I, I'll rather more look at what Fed is doing, to be honest, in terms of tapering than what Buffet is doing, just to figure out the markets. And Fed is only tapering so much and mm. they can change their mind on the fly anyways and a push of a button is how I look at it. Yeah. I, 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 I was sort of going to say something similar as well, Jazz, that Warren Buffett's, you know, he seems to have lost his touch a little bit. Um, you know, he, he's, he, this century really since 2000, you know, the tech, the tech, uh, he, you know, his biggest regrets are not getting into Amazon. He does own Apple, but he doesn't really own tech in any meaningful way. You know, Microsoft just became the biggest uh, company, listed company in the world. He, he doesn't, he doesn't own any any meaningful Microsoft. So, uh, yeah, I think I think he, he hasn't tech in the tech markets. That, that said, he's he's still the oracle and he's still pretty amazing. Now, the reason that the he's been he's been a net seller of stocks uh, for the last four quarters. Um, so he's obviously amassing cash. He's keeping his powder dry. A couple of reasons would be that he sees this as an overvalued market. It's really hard to argue with that. I think that's a f- fairly fair. You know what the Buffett rule is? When the stock market's over 100% of GDP, you know, that, that's a warning sign. We're way past that now. So he's he's right to, and he's much smarter than me. I mean, he's, he's right to observe that this market's overvalued. Um, a lot of, he, about 40% of what he owns in the top, in his top 10 are bank stocks. So I my guess is um, he's selling that stuff down because he's already come out and said you know about a year ago that when interest rates are zero you don't you don't want to own bank stocks. His other big mistake, interestingly, was he sold down his uh, airlines a year ago. But the airlines have been some of the best performing stocks on the on the uh, market, and uh, you know I don't own any, any of this stuff. But my guess is in twenty twenty two airline stocks are going to fly. No pun intended as people start to to, uh, to take to the skies again. So, um, you know, it, it's it's difficult to get right. I think, Jazz, you're right. As, you know, an index fund probably would have done just as well as Berkshire Hathaway. Um, I think he's trying to get out of the banking sector a little bit and, and hang on to things like Apple and Verizon and some of those other things he owns. Um, but um, I also think that this is just not a market for a value investor. This is... N- it, like he would much rather, and we know we know his style. He would much rather see the parade go by, and not participate than invest in something he doesn't understand in, or or chase a bubble. Um, so this is classic Buffett in that sense. He, he when the market crashes, he's going to be okay as well, and the market will crash at some stage. And and he that that's when that's when we see the wisdom of Warren Warren Buffett, is my guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, will be interesting to watch if the look. What is crash? I mean, uh, when yeah. you crash, uh, a fifteen percent correction can happen tomorrow, right? Is that a crash? Yeah. That's not really a crash. Are we talking COVID-style crash, which is about where, where you hit mul- multiple checkpoints on the stock market? Uh, I don't see that happening especially yeah. with Biden passing the infrastructure bill, right? So, so that means more money is being pumped into the system. Uh, I think the market goes down 10% every year though, right? There's a 10% correction every year, which is kind of, I guess, your point, right? That mm-hmm. you, you, we're, we're numb to those sorts of yeah. things. Um, yeah. 
Yep. Especially when you're used to seeing 25%, 30% gains with cryptocurrencies mm. and that kind of, you know, the vol- that kind of volatility. So the fact that more than 30, 40% of his portfolio is already sitting in banking stocks, uh, I think is already a big concern for Berkshire Hathaway more than any anything else. Uh, yeah. with the likes of fintechs and crypto coming and challenging all these banks big time. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Any, yeah. any hate mails go to jazz at sparkyourfire.com <laughs> <laughs> and we'll leave it there. Only, only Warren's going to send me an email, but he normally calls me. <laughs> He'll call me. He'll call me. He'll Skype you. He'll Skype you. So, uh, all good. All right. Um, any update on commodities this week, John, Jazz? Well, since, since Jazz called the bottom of the gold market about three weeks ago, and maybe because Jazz called the bottom of the, the you know, a lot of big hitters listen to this podcast, um, the um, the gold price has done really, really well. About up 100 bucks in the last two weeks. Got gold and silver looking great. Um, and the reason for that, uh, I, I, th- I think it's actually just sort of the cycle and the phasing, but it's a lot to do with the stimulus uh, and, uh, and the inflation numbers that came out. So... Mm. So interestingly, when the inflation numbers came out, gold and silver spiked, which it doesn't always do, even though it's supposed to, and the uh, S&P 500 and the Dow came down. Uh, so, so precious metals looking great. Commodities are looking good. You know, uranium's been trading higher, generally speaking. Um, oil is the other interesting thing, and oil dipped below 80 bucks, mm. which is unusual. So, so oil's, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's been hitting resistance at about 80 bucks, but it has come back down and, and it got slammed overnight. Um, we'll see what happens to oil, but oil, oil plus the 10 year yield. These are things you should be looking at. Um, yeah. I still think, I still think oil is going to get to 200 bucks in the next mm, 18 months, maybe. And Transit- that's when you start, that's when you start to get nervous. That's transitory inflation. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I, I think, yeah, I, I agree with John on everything he said. I think, I think the commodities market is uh, looking rock solid, mm. in my opinion. So, well, yeah. you called it Oracle. So, <laughs> <laughs> called it two weeks ago. That's why people have jumped in. Come on. <laughs> For those people who have not been listening to Sparkify, then that's <laughs> that's a different story, right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all right. Cryptocurrency, Jazz, you're up. What's up? Uh, I've got a bit of blackout to be honest in that world, but uh, I think the biggest piece of news that I remember mm-hmm. or I can recall, and I don't have my notes in front of me on that, is the uh, India That's launching India. India launching the first crypto ETF, mm-hmm. uh, just like Australia did a couple of weeks ago. So I think that's happening next week. That gives uh, what what's the population of India? Roughly billion give or take. So that all of a sudden gives access to all those people to be able to invest in the crypto space uh, by um, investing in the companies that are building in that space, essentially. So it's not the it's not a Bitcoin ETF, a uh, spot ETF or anything. It's more the ETF for the uh, ETF that is tracking some of the companies that are building the infrastructure in that space. So I thought that was a pretty pretty big deal that uh, it uh, one way or the other has opened up the market, uh, which was very dicey over the last two two to three years, uh, whether they will 
uh, allow the crypto or they'll ban crypto kind of thing. I think that's clear with the CDF. Uh, I still think that Q4, Q1 are looking very interesting. Uh, so we'll see what happens. We'll wait and watch. Mm -hmm. Sounds like it's just another day. Business as usual mm -hmm. for uh, for cryptocurrencies. Yeah. What, what did what did Bitcoin start the year at? Because that it's it was ten thousand dollars or something. We've been so numb to it being sixty thousand. So <laughs> you know, uh, I don't think it started the year at ten thousand. I think when it started at the start of the year, it was already pretty high. Uh, it closed the month at so the it closed Jan or December close was twenty eight thousand or oh. twenty nine ish. And Jan close was thirty three thousand, so uh, it already had gained a lot of momentum behind it by then. Right. So yeah, since then it's just been floating around this thirty to sixty k range, uh, which sounds funny when you say thirty to sixty k range. Uh, that's almost <laughs> a double from there. But again, this is crypto, so yeah, uh, that's normal. Yeah. Bitcoin was uh, about $30,000 on the 1st of January, 2021. And then it's pretty much never dipped below 30,000 across 2021 at all. So. Mm -hmm. Correct. Uh, yeah. yeah. So space to watch. We'll see what happens. Oh, the other piece of news that probably is worth mentioning is mentioning is the spot ETF that has been rejected, rejected by SEC. So Vanguard, Vanex, file for the spot ETF for Bitcoin and that has been rejected. Um, so why is that? Do you know the reason for I, the rejection by SEC? Yeah, I haven't had a chance to go and read the news in depth. Cool. I've been a little bit busy, but yeah, yeah. I did see that it's uh, it's been uh, rejected. Mm. Mm -hmm. okay. I don't know how exactly it makes any difference to be honest, uh, when there's so many other rails to enter into the space. Yeah. But, I get it from, I get it to some extent, uh, but not a big deal at the end of the day. So there's another, I think, 15 in pipeline that have been filed with SEC. So if not this one, probably another one. Okay. All right. Well, anything else, gents? No? John is on mute, like always, talking to himself. I've done it again. Just that Roger Federer is um, unlikely to make the Australian Open or Wimbledon. This is news that oh, came yeah. out overnight and broke this guy's heart. So, um, oh, he's, he's had the knee operation. So he's uh, oh. he he says he'll be running for the first time in January. Uh, he said so. Australian Opens out, Damn. but Wimbledon, which is I think June is or July, is very unlikely as well. Damn it! Mm. What's your pick, John? Who's going to win the Australian Open? Oh, well, I mean, Djokovic has won it nine times. Uh, but I think the other one, to, the one to watch is Medvedev mm -hmm. um, uh, from Russia. So he's uh, pretty good on the hard courts as well. And he's not not so scared of uh, Djokovic anymore. Where's meeting him at the US Open. Where's Nadal at? Has he fully recovered? Or So he, he's been out second half of 2021. Um, uh, he, so he, but he's always pretty competitive in at the Australian Open, mm -hmm. not, even though he hasn't won that many. Mm -hmm. um, so he'll be making a comeback as well. Yeah, I'm with you, Djokovic. Yeah, yeah. Well, all, so Roger uh, Nadal and Djokovic are tied at 20 Grand Slams each. So whoever wins the next one will be mm. the uh, the clear the clear goat. Mm -hmm. Well, seems like the wind is sailing towards Djokovic these these days. So yeah, 
But anyways, great pod. Love you guys. Missed the last Friday. So uh, to the listeners, not a financial advice, not an investment advice. Do your own research. Speculate as punters we are, like always. Uh, don't over leverage. Play safe, stay safe. And we will see you guys next Friday. John, Jazz, and David. <laughs>